What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John. And this week, we are back to analyze and predict the UFC on ESPN Plus 11 card headlined by Alexander Gustafsson versus Anthony Smith going down this Saturday, June 1st at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is a European card, so the prelims will get started in the morning or at 10 a.m., with the main card starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. At the end of the program, we will be quickly recapping the UFC Rochester card that went down this or two weekends ago. We had last weekend off, there was no UFC, but this week we are back in Stockholm, Sweden, and it was supposed to be a 13-fight card, but we just received news that Volkan Ozdemir versus Ir Latifi, the co-main event, has been canceled due to an injury from Ir Latifi. Real shame about that one. That was going to be a really good fight, and I was actually in the middle of doing my tape study on that fight as I found out the news so um, you know that's a pretty big hit to the card but there are still a lot of solid matchups the European cards always have you know a lot of unique fighters that you know tend not to fight too often so it's a pleasure getting to see some of these guys fight and uh, we got 12 good matchups um, going down this weekend in Stockholm Sweden so we're going to start things off in the lightweight division we have Danilo Bilardo, who is 12 and 3, taking on Joel Alvarez, who is 15 and 2. Now, looking over at the opening betting line for this fight, we had Alvarez, the favorite, at minus 135, to Bilardo at minus 105. Right now, over on our affiliated sportsbook, Five Dimes, line margins have tightened up, and we are seeing Alvarez minus 115 to Bilardo at minus 105. So the fight op- opened at a near pick'em, and it's still at a near pick'em. There's money coming in on both sides uh, of this fight, but it's honestly a very hard fight to predict, in my opinion. We have seen Alvarez fight in the UFC once already in a, a loss in his last fight to Demir Ismagulov, and we have not seen Belardo fight. He is making his UFC debut in this fight, and there's just a lot unknown about both of these fighters, uh, specifically the debutante uh, Belardo. Um, you know, making his UFC debut in this one. He's coming off of a victory against an opponent named uh, Neves de Oliveira. It was a nice victory. He he showed some uh, some good takedowns in that fight. You know, not very solid defensively uh, with his takedowns. He was taken down a few times himself. He, you know, left his neck out uh, going for takedowns and was in a couple tight guillotines, but he was able to get back to his feet when he was taken down, and he was able to escape the guillotines when he was attacked with them. So he stayed safe in that fight and eventually just outgrinded his opponent in, in the last thir- uh 60 to 90 seconds of that fight got some top control and won a very close fight but um he has also been uh, knocked out a few times he's been uh uh actually three times he has been uh tko'd in his career all uh going back in 2016 um, so once against luka jelicic he was rocked with an overhand right and tko'd and he was also taken down, mounted, and uh, TKO with ground and pound versus uh, Stefano Paterno back in 2016. So he is uh, definitely, um, you know, beatable. He is, he's lost before. He's, you know, his chin might be a little uh, questionable. He was rocked with some sloppy punches in his career. So, um, you know, his stand-up, he looks pretty uncomfortable in that aspect, and he's definitely looking to get this fight on the floor. But... That plays right into Joel Alvarez's game because Alvarez is a submission specialist. He, you know, I think 14 of his 15 wins have come by way of submission. And, um, you know, again, he does not look too comfortable on the feet. He, uh, you know, has, you know, some decent leg kicks. He, um, you know has been knocked out uh, with kicks himself before and you know that fight against Ismagulov he just didn't look very good in that fight he did not look very aggressive he was not throwing with much power he was just you know looked like he was content to lose in that one content not to get knocked out he was just uh you know outstruck that entire fight really struggled with the boxing of Ismagulov and you know lost that fight decisively so it was a pretty lackluster debut from Alvarez it was you know a very very disappointing performance from him he showed nothing good he didn't show any takedowns off his back, but I expect Belardo to get the takedown. 
Um, but I think that uh, Alvarez will get back to his feet. He will make Bellowardo work. He will tire Bellowardo out, you know, going for those takedowns. And I expect uh, in the later rounds, Alvarez to take over and eventually get his own takedown and his own submission. Uh, so I'm going to go with a round three submission for Joel Alvarez in this one. Um, but in the betting window, it's definitely going to be a pass on both money lines. I could not trust either of these guys as a favorite. So, you know, just stick with props in this one. Uh, but I'm Imagine the Alvarez submission prop is not going to be good value either um, because that is how uh, he wins most of his fights. But those lines are out, so we might as well check it just, um, just for the sake of it. Alvarez by submission plus 200. Yeah, so not, not very good odds in my opinion. Um, that's going to be a pass on all aspects of the betting uh, for me. So next fight is in the light heavyweight division. We got Devin Clark, who is nine and three, taking on Darko Stocic, who is thirteen and one. The opening betting line for this one was Stocic, the minus two sixty five favorite, to Devin Clark at plus one eighty five. Since then, the line has flipped. We are now seeing. Dev Clark minus 122 Stosic at plus 100. Very shocking line movement in this one. You know, a huge amount of money coming in on on Dev Clark, pushing him from a plus 185 underdog all the way down to a minus 120 favorite. Um, just the you know, and the insane amount of money coming in on Dev Clark. And honestly, I disagree with it. I I don't really understand where it's coming from. You know, um, Stosic is not very proven. You know, he I think he's only had uh, one or two fights in the UFC so far uh and uh i think it's one fight uh, and it was against jeremy kimball and uh you know he was waiting waiting in that fight and then when kimball swarmed him with some sloppy attack stosic uh you know avoided the takedown got on top himself and just smashed some kimball with some ground and pounds so it was a very effortless victory for him he looked like he was you know bored in there he knew that Kimball was, you know, going to make a mistake shortly into the fight. So why even take a risk? He, he barely threw any punches himself. He was just waiting for Kimball to make the mistake. He did make the mistake and then he capitalized and got the, the ground and pound finish. So not the most, uh, you know, exciting performance. He didn't really show too much of his game, but, you know, he got the win and he, he did it, uh, you know, very uh, convincingly. So uh, Dev Clark, uh, in his last fight, he was actually supposed to fight uh, Scheitkrov back in Russia, but I think his fight got canceled the day of. His last fight was a knockout loss to Alexander Rechich. He had a little bit of early success in that fight with some uh, some elbows while Rechik was going for a takedown, but eventually Rechik recovered and then was able to drop Dev Clark with a back fist and then finish him up with um, some punches uh, with some ground and pound for the finish. So... Uh, what worries me in this fight is Dev Clark's chin, man. He has been, you know, knocked out a few times before. He has shown a suspect chin. He has fought his fair share of heavy hitters, and he's dealt with some of them well. You know, the most uh, notable being Mike Rodriguez. Rodriguez is a very talented striker, and uh, Dev Clark dealt with him very well. Dev Clark has a wrestling background. He was able to use his takedowns, his clinch game, and grind out that that fight against the fence and uh, on the ground and neutralize a powerful striker like Mike Rodriguez. So he definitely is going to try to uh, impl implement that same game plan in this fight. He's going to try to take so uh, Stochik down. He's going to try to push him against the cage. He's going to try to, you know, blast that double leg takedown and get that top position to win this fight on the scorecards. But I don't think it happens, man. I think that Stochik uh, is, you know, he's a very short, muscular guy. He's you know, got a very low center of gravity. I think that Dev Clark's going to have a lot, a lot of trouble getting Stoshik to the ground. And, uh, you know, he, he's just so strong that, you know, he'll get that wizard on you, he'll get that underhook, and he'll just use that strength to avoid the takedown. And that's exactly how I see this matchup going is Clark's shooting for the takedowns, Stosic uh, stuffing them and eventually touching the chin of Dev Clark with a powerful strike on the feet. You know, Clark was dropped with that uh, that that weak back fist from Alexander Rachik uh, not too long ago. So the chin is definitely in question of Clark, and I think that Stochik will eventually uh, touch the chin of uh, Clark with a you know a big. Uh, powerful punch and eventually get the uh the tko victory in this one i'm gonna go with round two tko for stoshik but the longer this fight goes the better it favor it goes for dev clark you know i think that if he is able to get these takedowns if he's able to win round one and you know get a takedown in round two i think that he will win this fight 
Uh, all it takes is really two takedowns. I think Stochik will be gassed by round three. He won't have anything left in the tank. And Clark could cruise to a decision. That's definitely a, a possible and, you know, actually a likely um, path to victory. I'd give that path around 40% to happen to, for Clark to grind out a decision. But the more likely outcome I got to side with, and that that is Stochik stuffing the takedowns and uh, winning the fight with his striking. The next fight is in the women's featherweight division. We got Duda Santana taking on Bia Malecki. Uh, Santana is 3-0. Malecki is 1-0. The opening betting line for this one was Santana, the minus 165 favorite to Bia Malecki at plus 125. We are now seeing the line flip to Malecki, minus 125 to Santana at plus 105. So, Another line flip in this fight. Um, you know, a very interesting line move in this one. It, it is a close matchup. Um, you know, it's, you know, both of these women are, you know, pretty inexperienced. You know, they have not fought in the UFC before. Maleki was on the Ultimate Fighter, but she lost to Lee Letson in that, um, on that show and was, you know, obviously kicked off the show because that's how the Ultimate Fighter works. But um, Santana uh, herself, you know, not much, uh, not much experience. You know, the, I think there's only one fight of Santana on on the internet that I was able to find. You know, she did look good in that fight. She looked like she had some some powerful striking. You know, a decent Muay Thai background. But you know, her 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 defense was definitely lacking in that one. You know, she was throwing hard. Uh, throwing with heavy punches, but you know she was not very technical. Um, she was not very defensively sound. It looked like she had just nothing but offense on her mind. You know when she would hurt her opponent with a punch, she would just swing wild, wild punches with long combinations. And you know she got rocked a couple times by her opponent. Um, her opponent's last name was, or her name was Anna Costa. Um, so yeah, so even in those, even though Santana was winning that fight. Uh, all throughout the fight, um, Sant or, uh, Anna Costa was still able to rock her with a few punches. Uh, so the things that worry about worry me about Santana are just her her boxing defense. You know she's uh, she has that tall woman's defense. She's you know not really moving her head too well, and she gets caught with a lot of punches. But she does have very aggressive striking, very wild, uh, very powerful knees and punches. So she's not going to be uh, you know an easy fight for for uh, by any means. And but Bimaleki I think will be the more technical striker in this one. She's got that more Thai style similar to Santana just a little more polished you know she throws elbows she actually cut Lee Letson open with a nasty elbow on tough but her her you know her footwork was not very very good you know she struggled circling around the cage she struggled uh, you know avoiding the um, you know avoiding the takedown of Leah Letson and eventually she you know lost that fight just due to uh, getting stuck against the cage getting taken down and just not being able to get her get off her back so. Um, you know, she did she did get off her back once or twice, I think, in round one. But in round two, Lee Letson got her down and kept her down for about three minutes and won that fight. So this one I'm expecting to be an entirely contested on the feet. I have not seen any offensive grappling from either one of these women. Uh, but they also have not fought in a while. You know, uh, Maleki, um, I hope her name is Bia Maleki. I mean, I could be butchering this. Um, Lee Letson um, fought on the Ultimate Fighter uh, back in July of 2018. You know, that was, you know, about 10 months ago. But um, Duda Santana has not fought for about 18 months. So a very long layoff for her. Um, you know, I'm expecting these ladies to come in here and throw down on the feet. It should be a very, uh, you know, exciting kickboxing match. You know, so, hey, man, sometimes, you know, you we see these, um, you know, lower level, less experienced women um, and they come into the UFC and you have low expectations, but they throw the fuck down, man. We've seen that uh, a lot lately. Um, the most particular one being uh, Carol, uh, Luina Carolina and uh, who was the opponent that she fought? Let me pull that shit up. Um, Carolina and Cachoeira, you know, that was a real fun fight. Those women were throwing the fuck down, um, and people weren't thinking too much of that fight before it. So I expect this one to be very entertaining. I think that, um, you know, 
it could go it could go either way really it's a really back and forth type of fight uh, a coin flip type of fight i i give the technical edge to maleki i think that um you know she uh obviously is the, the the more technical striker i think that 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 will pay dividends the longer this fight goes but man she's gonna have uh trouble with Santana's pressure, with Santana's aggression. This fight is at 145. Maleki has fought most of her fights at 135, I believe. So I expect Santana to be the much bigger woman. Uh, she's going to be marching Maleki down. And, uh, you know, initially I sided with Maleki because of the, 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 the technique edge. But I'm going to actually go with Santana in this one. I think her size and her aggression will be too much for Maleki. And Santana will win on the scorecards in this one. The next fight is in the lightweight division. We got Nick Hine, who is 14-4-1, taking on Frank Camacho, who is 21-7. The opening betting line for this one was Nick Hine, the favorite, at minus 180 to Frank Camacho, the plus 140 underdog. Right now, over on our affiliated sportsbook, 5dimes.eu, we are seeing Nick Hine, minus 105. Frank Camacho, minus 115. So a lot more action coming in on Frank Camacho's way. This fight is almost at a pick em in this one. So, uh, you know, I agree with the line movement, but where it's at now, I honestly think that this fight is a pass in the money line aspect of things. Maybe Camacho by knockout would be a nice prop line to stab at, but, you know, I don't expect the odds to be too good on that one either. Yeah, oh, plus 480. That's actually pretty good. Um, that that might be, might be worth, uh, you know, a play on that one. So, um, things to note about this matchup. Camacho is dropping down from 170 back to 155. I say back to because he has fought at 155 before. He His last fight at 155 was against... Damian Brown, very exciting, entertaining matchup, back and forth, uh, you know, just great fight, but he missed weight for that fight by five pounds, so very, uh, you know, worrisome that he is dropping back down in the weight, you know, you gotta wonder what the fuck the motivation is to drop back down to 155, you know, obviously, um, he struggled at welterweight, you know, uh, suffering losses to Dober and to Neil. The Dober fight was very close, but the Neil fight, you know, he was just absolutely outclassed in that fight. Um, you know, bell to bell domination from Jeff Neal, and he eventually put Frank Camacho in a coffin with, and you know, a picture perfect left head kick. Um, Nick Hine, uh, the opponent in this matchup, has also, you know, struggled a bit lately. I think he's coming off of three losses in a row. Uh, he was uh, tapped out by Davi Hamos with the rear naked choke. He uh, lost the split decision to Demir Hadzovic as well. I don't know how that was split. I'm pretty sure uh, Hadzovic won that fight pretty clearly. It was only two losses in a row, though. So, um, yeah, you know, Nick Hine, he, he's, you know, people, you, you'll hear people talk about him like he's a grappler. They'll, you'll say he has a, a black belt in judo. He's a purple belt in jiu-jitsu. He's got a great ground game. But... I really don't see him use that ground game too much, you know. I've seen, you know, I saw obviously saw him, uh, you know, get tapped out by Davi Hamos. You know, no shame in that loss because Hamos is a world-class black belt. But, you know, Hein, his ground game is made out to be his, str uh, his strong suit, but he really doesn't use it much. Uh, you know, that judo black belt, it, you know, it comes in handy from time to time in MMA, but it's not really something you can base your whole game around, you know. So... Uh, I, I don't really like what I've seen from Hine lately. You know, he's got decent boxing, but he was outstruck by Demir Hodzovic all fight, in my opinion. He actually was dropped by Demir in uh, the third round of that fight with the right hand. So the the the, the chin uh, of Hine is in question. You know, I, I really just haven't seen him look very good at all lately in the cage. You know, I think his last win was about uh two or two years ago let's see who was it against Taehyung Bang back in 2016 yeah so about two and a half years since since he's won a fight in the octagon and you know you look at his last one Taehyung Bang you know I've heard of him don't know much about him Yutsuki Kayua don't know him Lutsaka Suaki don't know him I don't even know how the I, I missed all these fights you know I didn't see any of these fights they were all in the UFC his last win uh good win is over Drew Dober back in 2014 so not saying that, you know, Frank Camacho has looked too great lately either, but man, I really have not seen much good out of Nick Hine lately. Uh, you know, I, that 
so this this one comes down to uh, you know how Camacho will look at 155 again. I think that um, you know the weight cut will be will be severe for Camacho. He's a, he's a big dude. He missed weight at 160 for his last uh, lightweight fight, and I imagine that um, you know moving back down to 155 is going to take a lot out of Camacho. Camacho has a very good chin. You know, even though he was knocked out in his last fight, he you know he will he ate a lot a lot of punishment in that fight before he was eventually knocked out and i don't think that he will be able to you know withstand those same type of shots at 155 that he was eating early on in that uh jeff neal fight but luckily nick hine is not a, really a power striker at all um i and camacho has got a really good ground game of his own right you know he that that uh that fight against Damian Brown, he showed a really nice takedown game, you know, nice guard passing, uh, you know, good sub defense. Uh, you know, he was in a deep, deep rear naked choke in that fight, and he was able to escape. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going to just slot, side with Frank Camacho in this one. I think that uh, he's the better striker. I think that he is, his uh, defensive grappling will be good enough uh, to fend off any attacks from Nick Hine. And I think that he will be the one who uh, initiates the uh, the ground attacks in this one. If he, I think that Camacho could end up in top position if it goes to the ground. But I expect Camacho to, to make this uh, his type of fight, which is a brawl man he's gonna try to make Hine uncomfortable he's gonna try to touch that chin of Hine and I think that he he will do that I think that um we're gonna see a back and forth brawl for a round or two and I think that eventually Camacho lands that knockout shot on Nick Hine finishing him with TKO uh, in the second round the next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Stevie Ray, who is 22-8, taking on Leonardo Santos, who is 16-3-1. The opening betting line for this one was Leonardo Santos, the minus 195 favorite to Stevie Ray at plus 155. Right now, over on Five Dimes, we are seeing Santos minus 200 to Ray at plus 170. So, um, you know, two-way action coming in on this fight i'm honestly very surprised by the line in this fight you know leo santos uh, has not fought in almost two and a half years you know his last win was in october of 2016 not his last win his last fight excuse me so he's been extremely inactive i don't i think i don't know if it was usada or it was injuries i wouldn't be surprised if it was a combination of the two but regardless he's coming off that two and a half year layoff and he's a two to one favorite over a solid fighter like stevie ray who has been active this entire time that santos has been you know on the sidelines so um, getting down to the matchup in this one, we, Santos, you know, uh, initially was a jiu-jitsu guy. You know, he's got a jiu-jitsu black belt, trains out of Nova Uniao, or he at one point did. I don't know if he still does. But he seems to have, you know, fallen in love with his kickboxing. He got that knockout of Kevin Lee not too, or, you know, I guess it was kind of long ago, three years ago, three or four years ago. And, you know, after that, he has just, you know, tried to kickbox a lot more. Um, you know, that the his most recent fight against Adriana Martins, you know, a, f a fellow jiu-jitsu black belt, um, was contested pretty much entirely on the feet, you know. I don't know if it was because uh, he, he respected Martins' gra ground game and, you know, just wanted to keep this one standing, but, uh, you know... And then even even Santos's kickboxing, you know, it's decent at best. It's not really anything uh, too special. Uh, he doesn't really particularly do one thing really well on the feet. But um, you know, he he did fight Tony Martin not too long ago at lightweight. He uh, had a really nice outside trip takedown. He was able to pass Tony Martin's guard, get to mount, and get a rear naked choke uh, in that fight. And that's a you know a really high level grappler in uh, Anthony Rocco Martin. But uh, you know, that fight was four years ago, so who the hell knows what the even, or maybe even longer than that, I think it was five years ago, actually, so who knows what that even means anymore, who knows what Santos's athletic ability is like, whether, what are his motivations are for this fight, um, so, uh, getting over his opponent, Stevie Ray, in this one, Stevie Ray is, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, active guy, he's, uh, you know, a southpaw, he's got a nice left hand, um, throw some nice kicks. He also has, you know, a pretty solid uh, defensive grappling game. He uh, was able to reverse some takedowns on Alan Patrick when they fought. He ended up in mount. He was attacking uh, uh, 
an armbar versus Alan Patrick. He, you know, that was a pretty deep armbar that he was attempting on Patrick, but unfortunately, uh, Patrick escaped it, ended up on top, and he was able to stay there for a, a while. But Ray was defending well. You know, he was active. He was trying to get back on his feet, but. He, uh, you know, eventually was it was just lost that fight by you know being taken down, not being able to get off his back. He, uh, he he was, uh, he was defending well. Like I said, he wasn't you know in risk of any submissions. But Alan Patrick was just stalling. He was just you know laying on praying in that fight, just trying to win a decision on the on the cards, and you know he ended up doing that. But. Uh, one thing that worries me about Ray in that fight is that Patrick was setting up his takedowns with some big loopy uh, punches that really didn't have much technique behind them. And those punches were tagging Ray. So, um, and uh, you know, even in uh, Stevie Ray's most recent fight with uh, Jessen Ayari, you know, he he looked, you know, decent at best in that fight. You know, Ayari gave him a tough fight, and Ayari is, you know, um, again a, a pretty lower level opponent who was coming off of a long layoff himself. So. You know, Ray is no world beater by any means, but he's definitely a very solid, well-rounded martial artist. So um, coming down to the, how this matchup plays out, uh, man, I, I expect it to be really close. And honestly, I think that uh, the value in the betting realm is on Stevie Ray in this one as that plus 170 underdog. I think that his defensive grappling is good enough to avoid any submissions from Santos in this one. And I think that this one will be contested mostly on the feet. And I think that Stevie Ray is actually the, the more technical and more experienced guy on the feet i think that you know ray's uh, activity is going to pay him dividends i think santos will be feeling that ring rust from two and a half years out of the cage and i expect ray to uh, win a decision 29 28 in this one the next fight is taking place in the women's bantamweight division we have tanya evinger who is 19 and 8 taking on lena landsberg who is 8 and 4 the opening betting line for this one was Tanya Evinger, the favorite, at minus 175 to Lena Landsberg, the underdog, at plus 135. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing Evinger minus 275 to Landsberg, plus 235. So a lot of movement coming in on Tanya Evinger in this one. And I'm not going to say rightfully so because I think it's a little too steep where it sits right now. But I do agree with Evinger being the favorite in this one. You know, Evinger is, uh, you know, a veteran of the fight game. She's, uh, you know, had a very patented style for a long time. She's looking out here to, uh, looking to come out here, be aggressive, close the distance, get in that clinch get the takedown and then, uh, you know, either get a submission or, you know, get a TKO finish on the ground. But, you know, her last fight against Aspen Ladd looked very worrisome. You know, she came out real aggressive in the striking of that one. She was trying to, to hit Ladd with as many punches as she can. And, you know, she did land a few strikes in that one. But eventually, Ladd clinched her up. And uh, Evinger was looking, you know, a little uncomfortable in the clinch. She didn't look like she knew what she was doing too much. Evinger went for a, a weak and a desperate and a totally terrible uh, takedown that uh, Ladd easily... Um, reversed and then Ladd just you know got top position and smashed her with ground uh, ground and pound um, for the finish in that one but you know Evinger before that you know was coming off of uh, a win off of uh, Yana Kunitskaya she uh, you know was able to uh, submit Yana Kunitskaya in that one after their uh, controversial uh, no decision where actually Evinger was submitted in that one but um Oh, she also got uh, knocked out by Cyborg, too. That was, you know, a brutal beatdown. Uh, Lena Landsberg also fought Cyborg. Again, brutal beatdown in that one. Um, but uh, Landsberg, uh, you know, she's a Muay Thai uh, fighter. She's got some decent kicks. She's, uh, you know, pretty solid in the clinch. She actually, both these women have fought Aspen Ladd as well. And Landsberg looked much better against Ladd. She actually, I believe, won round one against Ladd in the clinch. She was, you know, hitting her with some good knees in the clinch. But... Eventually, Ladd got to take down the double leg in round two, and did the and Ladd did the same thing to Landsberg as she did with Evinger. Got mount or got her back taken and smashed her with some ground and pound. But another common opponent amongst these two, these these they have a lot of common opponent was Yana Kunitskaya, and Yana Kunitskaya dominated Lena Landsberg. You know, took her down, outstruck her, you know, outclinched her, everything, while Evinger was able to uh, tap out Yana Kunitskaya in that one. So. Um, you know, very uh, very close matchup in this one. Honestly, I just think that that 
you can't be confident in either woman. I think that Evinger will eventually get the takedown. I, I, when it's on the feet, though, I expect it to be close. I expect Landsberg to win the clinching in this one. I don't expect that there, there to be to, to be too much striking on the feet. Uh, you know, at, uh, in range. You know, I think that this one will be contested mostly on the ground and in the clinch. Uh, you know, against the cage, a lot of stalling, expecting a really boring fight in this one. But I think at some point, Evinger will get the takedown. I think that she will get the top position, and I think that she will win the rounds that way. And I'm predicting, uh, I think that Landsberg might steal around maybe rounds one or two. She might land the cleaner, harder strikes and win it on the scorecards. But I expect Evinger to eventually win a decision 29-28. The next fight in the welterweight division, we got Sergey Kondoskov, who is 26-5-1, excuse me, taking on Rostam Achman, who is 6-0. The opening betting line for this one was Sergey, the minus 175 favorite to Achman at plus 135. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing Sergey minus 165 to Achman plus 145 so two-way action coming in on this fight uh you know both of these gentlemen are making their ufc debuts in this one so uh should be a good fight both of these gentlemen look ufc ready um you know maybe not so much Achman because uh you know he just there's not very much footage of him on the internet i really i have not seen one of his full pro MMA fights. That's how hard it is to find footage on this guy. You know, there's clips, there's highlight reels, there's a lot of footage of him through the amateurs, but in this, the pro fights, there's no footage online of this dude. So that leads me to believe that the UFC was looking for some Swedish guys, you know, to fill up the card with, and, you know, someone referred uh, Achman for this matchup, and, you know, the UFC brought him in here. So, um, you know, but I've been I've been impressed with the dude's skills. You know, he has a very diverse amateur background. He fought in the uh, the international MMA federation tournament or some shit. This dude fought four times in four days, three times in one year. I'll say that again. He fought four MMA fights in four days. So one fight every single day for four days straight, and he did that three times in one calendar year. So through that was in 2015 and 2016. So you know the the will and the toughness and the the everything that it takes to do that is just you know very impressive on its own right. Uh, you know he looks like uh, you know he likes to uh, box primarily. He looks like he throws a lot of wild strikes in the feed. He does not have very good defense. He's actually kept his hands very low and been caught and knocked out with punches before. I saw that on the amateurs, uh, but he also can hit his own offensive takedowns. He likes, you know, rocking you with punches and then hitting you with a takedown, but the takedowns aren't very technical. It looks like he was just, you know, muscling lower level opponents down to the floor, but, uh, you know, they were, they were effective in the amateur and, you know, the lower level pro scene, but I don't expect that same type of game to work here against Sergei Kondoskov. Um, so Kondoskov is a much more experienced fighter. He's got 32 pro MMA fights to Akman's six. So, you know, over five times the experience for Kondoskov in that, this one. That's going to be a big, big uh, factor for him. Uh, so uh, Kondoskov, uh, his takedown defense uh, looked very good. You know, he uh, countered a takedown attempt with a really nice judo throw. And he went, uh, you know, right to, right to the mount in that one. Um, you know, that was in, I think, his most recent fight uh, against uh, Adriano Rodriguez. Yeah, he ended up winning that fight via a uh, beautiful spinning back kick to the liver, you know, walk-off spinning back kick. So, uh, you know, Kondoskov's striking looks very crisp. You know, his offensive striking looks really well, good. But, you know, in terms of defense, you know, it's a, a bit of a liability. He uh, was dropped with a, a jab uh, versus uh, Benny Alloway in his fight a few years ago. He has been, you know, uh, tapped out a few times, uh, you know, by Alloway eventually, by uh, Vlasenko back in 2017. So, uh, you know, he's definitely lost before. He's not an indestructible, you know, Russian prospect that's coming in here um, that, uh, like we've seen lately. But he's a very solid competitor. He's definitely very well-rounded. 
Um, but, uh, you know, in terms of defensive grappling, I, I don't think that Kondoskov is very good, you know. He relies on stalling and holding. You know, if he gets taken down, he will, you know, just hold on to you and, you know, just pray for a stand-up. And in, in Russia, they are much more liberal, liberal with the stand-ups. You know, any time there is nothing happening for 10 seconds on the ground in Russia, they'll stand you up. While in uh, America, while the rest of the world, it's usually like 30, 45, even 60 seconds of doing absolutely nothing before the ref will eventually stand you up so you know it's uh it, it's it's an interesting matchup because you know on, on the feet sergey should be the much more technical and is experienced guy but you know akman is very aggressive he's powerful he throws heavy punches and uh you know akman if he looks for the takedown in this one i think that that would be a very good game plan because sergey has not shown defensive grappling he, you know, has shown decent takedown defense, but once he gets on the ground, he his 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 get ups are not very good. He does not look very, um, you know, uh, he doesn't look like he wants to get back to his feet very quickly. Like I said, he he just wants to hold on to his opponent and hopefully the referee stands him up. So I don't think that's gonna happen in this fight. I don't think he he can rely on this one to be saved by the Russian referees. So if Akman wants to go for the takedown and try to, you know, win out uh, rounds with the top control, I think he could do so. But I I, I slightly sign with Sergey uh, Kondoskov in this one. I think that uh, Akman is just a little too raw and inexperienced for, for uh, Sergey at this point in his career. I think Sergey will outstrike him on the feet. I think that uh, he will avoid the takedowns of Akman. And uh, I'm going to side with Sergey to uh, to get... Uh, I'll go with the decision in this one. I don't think that uh, uh, Ahmad will get knocked out. But it also wouldn't totally surprise me um, if uh, Kondoskov did get the knockout in this one. Um, but I'm going to side with Sergey in this one. And uh, we're going to move on to the next fight. Um, this is... It's officially the main card, you know, who knows what they're going to do with the main card now that the one fight has been canceled, but uh, this fight's officially the main card. We got Daniel Tamer, who is 6-3, taking on Sung Bin Jo, who is 9-0. The opening betting line for this one was Sung Bin Jo, the minus 195 favorite to Tamer, plus 155. Right now, we are seeing... Uh, Sung Bin Jo minus 135 to Daniel Tamer at plus 115. So um, Daniel Tamer getting another shot in the UFC after three losses in a row. Surprising to say the least. Um, Tamer has gotten you know good striking for one round. He you know was it had a good start against Danny Henry where he was rocking him with some punches bad, but eventually gassed out and lost the second half of that fight. You know Tamer's got you know. Uh, bad sub defense, bad cardio, bad takedown defense. Uh, you know, just not much that what a guy does well. He comes from a Muay Thai background and just really has not adapted his game for for MMA well at all. He um, has no ability to wrestle. He can't stuff a takedown for his life. Um, but even so, even with that, he was able to get top position on uh, Chris Fishgold a few times. You know, he just took advantage of some sloppy takedown attempts from Fishgold, and he ended up on top and landed some ground and pound. Um, but you know, the IQ of of Tamer is just garbage, man. He was grabbing the cage and getting points taken. He went for a leg lock versus Fishgold, and you know, lost the position. He he is just. Uh, you know, he, he got taken down and he got mounted and after one second of mount, not even any ground on pound, he was given up his back and he tapped with the rear naked choke right away. You know, he, he wilted in that fight pretty badly. Um, but his opponent, Sung Bin Jo, not really too much of a grappler, you know, primarily a striker in this one. So it's actually a matchup that Tamer can win. And Sung Bin Jo has one huge glaring weakness, and that's checking leg kicks. In his past two or three fights, he's been hit with some heavy leg kicks. His most recent fight, he was hurt to the legs bad. He was limping, and his legs looked like he didn't have, you know, anything under him. He was, he, you know, has no ability to check leg kicks. So, 
and he also was getting hit with some punches too. You know, he he did not look too solid defensively. He was willing to trade in the pocket, tuck his chin, and just throw bombs. Um, but then he eventually dropped his opponent in in the fourth round of that fight and swarmed him with some knees and punches for the finish. And uh, Sung Min Jo's takedown defenses also looked pretty pretty good. He took fought an opponent named Nakamura, where he was able to defend a couple single legs in that fight and eventually TKO Nakamura as well in that fight. So Sung Min Jo's looked good. He's looked pretty technical on the feet. Um, this is just a really hard fight to uh, to predict. You know, Joe has never fought in the UFC. Tamer has never won a fight in the UFC. Um, but I expect the uh, you know. If Tamer had a little bit of sense in him, he would watch the tape on Joe, realize that he can't check leg kicks, and implement a leg kick game plan. And, you know, coming from a Muay Thai background, I'm actually going to uh, side with Tamer to execute that game plan. I just think that Joe's weakness of uh, the, the leg kicks and his boxing defense is just a little too much uh, of a glaring hole. And I think that Tamer will uh, take advantage of that. I think Tamer throws pretty hard for that round one, and he has a good chance of touching the chin of Sung Bin Joe. But if this goes past round one, honestly, I favor Joe's uh, cardio to kick in. Uh, he, he should start outstriking uh, Tamer in rounds two and three. But uh, I think the Tamer will start fast. He will have some early success, and he will uh, win this fight. Uh, I'm going to go with knockout in the first round. But would not surprise me um, for uh, Sung Bin Joe to take over in the latter rounds and outstrike uh, Tamer. Maybe even Sung Bin Joe will uh, implement his first uh, offensive wrestling game plan for this one because Tamer's ground game is just such a glaring weakness as well. So both of these guys have a lot of weaknesses. Neither of them are very good. Uh, it's a tough fight to bet on. Uh, I definitely would be dogger pass, uh, and uh, I'm going to side with Tamer. Next fight is in the lightweight division. We got Christos Diagos, who is 16-7, taking on Damir Hadzovic, who is 13-4. The opening betting line for this one was Hadzovic, the minus 275 favorite to Christos Diagos at plus 195. Right now we are seeing Hadzovic minus 175 to Diagos plus 155. So, uh, interesting line movement in this one. I agree with it. I think that it, the, where the line was set was a little bit too high for uh, Hadzovic. So uh, I actually think that there's there's a good bit of value on um, on Giagos at plus 155. Uh, both of these guys ha are making big improvements. You know, I think both of their boxing and their stand-up has looked much improved. And I think that uh, how, both of their ground games have improved as well. You know, Giagos came back to the UFC and was uh, tapped out in his first fight by Oliveira. And then he went out in the next fight versus Hirota, and he won that fight pretty uh, convincingly. He showed better boxing in that fight. He was hitting Hirota with some good punches, and he was able to hit a few takedowns, get some top position, and win, win rounds uh, with top position versus Hirota. So, uh, you know, Giagos uh, has a, a vast array of takedowns, and he's got very solid uh, top control. Uh, Demir Hodzovic has got, you know, very nice boxing. He's got a good jab. He, uh, uh, he also has, uh, you know, good knees. He uses the knees to counter, uh, the pressure like he did with, uh, marching held, uh, not too long ago, knocked marching held out with a knee. But what happened in the beginning of that fight is interesting. Marching held won the first two rounds of that fight with his takedowns and with his top control. Now, Gagos is nothing in the same, you know, realm as uh, Marching Held's top control. You know, Held's a, you know, a world-class grappler, while Gagos is just, you know, a good MMA fighter. So, I don't, I'm not completely relying on Gagos to take Hadzovic down and keep him down because Hadzovic has made big improvements in his uh, ground game since losing those fights to uh, Alan Patrick and to. Um, well, I guess he didn't even lose to Marching Hill because he knocked him out in round three. But, uh, you know, Hazovic, uh, his boxing looks sharp versus Marco Polo Reyes in his last fight. And he actually was able to realize that Polo Reyes' game, uh, ground game is actually pretty bad. He hit his own offensive takedowns and uh, got mounted and smashed Polo Reyes with some ground and pound for the TKO finish in round two of that fight. So... Very impressive performance in the last fight from Hadzovic. So both of these guys are making big, big improvements fight to fight. I think it's going to be close on the feet. I think that Hadzovic should have the slight edge 
in the feet. I think it'll be close on the ground, but Diagos will have the slight edge on the ground. So where the odds are at now, I think it's dogger pass because I just could not trust Hodzovic to stay off his back uh, and win this fight, uh, you know, uh, on, v on the scorecards. I do see this one going to the cards, and I just see Yagos uh, edging it out 29-28. I think that, you know, um, you know, in terms of weaknesses, I think Hodzovic has just shown more weaknesses, and, you know, the takedown defense at times, uh, you know, his uh, ability to get off his back, and I think that Yagos will be relentless with the takedown. I think that he will get top position, and I think he will win two of three rounds to get the decision in this one. But it's a really close fight. I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, I would not be surprised if Hodzovic, you know, keeps making improvements with his ground game, is able to stuff the takedowns, is able to get off his back, and he's able to outstrike Yagos to a decision. It's a... Uh, you know, likely either way, honestly, I think, you know, uh, a safe bet might be fight goes the distance, but I honestly expect that the odds to be pretty wide on that one. Let's see if we can find it here. Uh, fight goes uh, minus 150. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. So, um, you know, that could be the play for this one. Next fight is in the featherweight division. We got Makwan Amir Kami, who is 14 and 3, taking on Chris Fishgold, who is 18, 2 and 1. The opening betting line for this one was Fishgold, the minus 145 favor to Amir Khani at plus 105. Right now, we are seeing Fishgold minus 115 to Amir Khani at minus 105. So initially, Amir Khani actually shot up to, uh, I think, around plus 155. Let's check best fight odds. Yeah, he was hovering plus 125, plus 120 um, a few weeks ago, and he has since been, you know, bet down a lot. And uh, I think that that's the right move in this one. I am picking Amir Kami to win this one. I actually think I got in on him at uh, the plus money. Um, but it's not, not a super confident pick. Um, you know, I think that uh, both of these guys, you know, ha have weaknesses. I'd say Fishgold has the more glaring weaknesses. So uh, starting things off with uh, Fishgold, he is, uh, you know, uh, uh, an English wrestler. He's got good offensive wrestling. But his defensive wrestling is, you know, relatively unknown. I think he's kind of desperate with the takedowns. I think he makes a lot of mistakes on the ground. He uh, went for a terrible guillotine attempt versus uh, Daniel Tamer, and he got put off his back. Uh, in, uh, or he got put on his back uh, after that bad guillotine attempt. His, you know, it, usually his first couple takedown attempts are good you know he usually will get his opponent down once or twice early in the fight but after that his takedowns get desperate they get telegraphed he has terrible energy management you know he he usually gasses out in fights whenever he he hits you with a punch that hurts you he usually just swarms you with crazy combinations and you know loses his composure completely and it also seems like he throws about 100% into every single one of his punches. That's why he gassed out so much, or that's why he gasses out in most of his fights, because he just starts fast, and if he doesn't get that early finish, uh, he usually gasses out in rounds two and three. So, uh, Fishgold, I expect him to come out here getting trying to take uh, get the takedown right away, um, like he always does, but, I, you know... I don't think that would be a good move. I think that Fishgold actually has an edge on the feet in this one. I think that Fishgold throws with a lot more power. Um, you know, I just think that Amir Kami's chin is a little suspect as well he, with being dropped two times versus uh, Jason Knight in his last fight. And Amir Kami is a little too cocky at times too. You know, he can keep his hands low, he can get complacent, and he can get caught with punches, which is what happened versus Jason Knight. So... I think that uh, if Fishgold were to keep this fight on the feet, it would be the better game plan for him. But I don't think Fishgold will do that. I think that the, the wrestling is kind of, you know, his bread and butter, or at least he thinks it is. Uh, and I think that he will chase the takedown in this one. But that's where Amir Kami will take over, honestly. I think that Amir, Amir Kami is the better grappler out of the two. I think that Mach 1 has a good chance at reversing position, stuffing takedowns, you know, attempting submission attempts on Fishgold. And I think that eventually the grappling pace that Makwan is able to put on his opponents, you know, he's he's had long grappling fights with Arnold Allen, with, uh, you know, Jason Knight. I think that the that uh, Makwan's cardio and his grappling will take over, and I think the Fishgold will gas out like usual, and I think that Makwan will actually get a finish in round three. So my pick is going to be Makwan to get the the submission in round three of this fight.
I, I also could see, you know, Fishgold touching the chin of a Mirakami to get the knockout early in maybe rounds one or round two. So it's, uh, you know, it's a toss-up in this one. That's why you see the odds so close right now at a near pick'em. You know, Makwan at, you know, plus money was a good bet. But, you know, where it's at now, I think that, uh, you know, it's a probably a pass. You know, maybe even a good play on this one would be fight uh, fight doesn't go the distance which is you know minus 120 pretty good odds so it's possible uh and that's a those are those are oh man fish gold by tko plus 835 that that's a bet for sure for sure i mean fish gold throws hard hard punches and if jason knight's you know weak punches were able to drop uh amir Khani, then i have no doubt that if fish gold connects hard on the chin then he will put amir Khani down so Close fight. I'm gonna slightly lean Makwan, but there's some odds on. Uh, there's some value on the prop odds, so check them out. Next fight. Uh, I assume this fight will be the co-main event. Now uh, we got Jimmy Manua, who is 17 and five, taking on Alexander Raychik, who is 11 and one. This fight is taking place in the light heavyweight division, and the opening betting line for this one was Raychik. Minus 285 to Jimmy Manuel plus 205. Right now we are seeing Raychik minus 190 to Manuel plus 165. So more action coming in Manuel's way. I do agree with it. I think that where the the uh, initial line was set was a bit too steep, but ultimately I do see Raychik winning this fight. Uh, you know I've been much more impressed with Raychik lately than Manuel. Manuel was coming off of three losses in a row, including the two of those being knockouts. Um, pretty bad knockouts as well you know he got uh you know knocked out uh bad versus o he got rocked behind the ear with the shot versus ozemir and then eventually dropped with another punch and he you know was in that war with tiago santos where he was uh knocked out with that uh uppercut versus uh Mejeta. so uh you know and uh, you know the, even the fight in between those two versus jan blahovic he was you know a step behind that entire fight he was outstruck on the feet he struggled with the jab of blahovic he struggled with the takedowns of blahovic as well so, you know, Mana was, you know, a, a tricky guy. He he has, you know, two speeds and it seems to be, you know, balls to the wall or, you know, coasting to a decision. And, you know, most of these days it seems like he's going balls to the wall. So I expect him to come out here and, you know, try to throw down right away. And, you know, I think Rachik will be willing to do that as well. I think Rachik has really nice boxing. I've been impressed with him. Uh, he throws with real power. You know, he's got power in his hands. I think that, you know, Manawa's chin has definitely taken a lot of damage over the years too. So I, I like Rachik's chances at rocking Manawa with a punch. Um, Rachik was quickly, uh, you know, hurt uh, versus Dev Clark with the, some elbows to the back of the ear while he was going for a takedown, but he eventually recovered and uh, finished Dev Clark in that fight. Um you know, uh, he, he also showed some very good inside leg kicks in uh, the uh, inside and outside leg kicks versus uh, Justin Ledette in their fight. Uh, I expect them to come into, come into play here. I expect Rachik to be kicking the legs of Manawa. Uh, you know, Rachik also has the ability to hit offensive takedowns, to keep top control, to ground and pound his opponents. You know, he really mixed up the striking and the take and the takedowns uh, versus Ledette well. He was able to knock Ledette down with leg kicks. He was able to drop Ledette with punches. He was able to take him down, pound him with ground and pound. You know, he dominated that fight. So... On the feet, I expect this one to be a firefight, man. I expect both of these guys to be trading in the pocket. And, you know, Manawa has, you know, much more experience in brawls. You know, he's been in brawls throughout all of his career, and he's come out on top of a lot of them. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I expect uh, Rachik to uh, quickly change levels, though, if it does get to that. You know, I think Rachik will want to, you know, jab and leg kick and stay at range. But if Manawa starts blitzing him and trying to close that range, I expect Rachik to level change. And, uh, you know, I expect uh, uh, Rachik to keep Manawa on his back. And, uh, uh, you know, Manawa's struggle with the, the, the takedowns of Blahovich with a lot of guys throughout his career. So I think Rachik will, uh, you know, mix up the takedowns, mix up the, the boxing very well in this fight. And I actually lean Rachik to get a, a finish in this one. I, I, I either see him, you know, winning a, a dominant 30-27 decision or possibly getting a, a TKO with some ground and pound in rounds two and three. I just think the top pressure in the ground and pound will be too much uh, for um, Jimmy Manawa in this one. And I, I think that uh, Rachik will get the TKO later in this fight. 
So, uh, as we mentioned before, Volkan Ozdemir versus Irla TV has been canceled. That was, you know, very unfortunate. It should have been a great fight. Got some good a good good odds on Irla TV early in this one, but the bets will be voided, of course. And, you know, we're missing out on a good fight, but it's a shame. Uh, we still got ourselves one more fight in the light heavyweight division. The main event of the evening, we got Alexander Gustafsson, who is 18-5, and five, taking on Anthony Smith, who is 31-14. and 14. The opening betting line for this one was Alex Gustafsson at minus 245 to Anthony Smith, plus 175. Right now, we are seeing Gustafsson minus 335 to Smith at plus 275. So even more action coming in on the favorite in this one, Alex Gustafsson. I think that Gustafsson should be the favorite in this one. I think he will win this fight. But where the odds are at right now, I think it's way too steep in the uh, in the favor of Gustafsson. I think that there's uh, some pretty pretty good value on Anthony Smith. You know, not saying I'm, I'm I'm betting on him. Not saying I'm taking the value bet. I'm just saying that it's it's dogger pass where it's at right now. So um, both of these guys fought John Jones last. Both of them were dominated. Uh, you know, both of them looked tentative. They looked uh, very um, unaggressive. You know, Gustafsson, you know, was, was, I think, the more shocking performance. You know, Smith came in as the 5-1 five, five, five to one underdog. Man, I just started hard there. Um, came in as that 5-1 to one underdog, and he looked like it. You know, he looked scared. He looked like the moment was getting to him. He showed no aggression. He got dominated bell to bell. But Gustafsson, you know, they had that competitive fight the first time. It was a rematch. Gustafsson was only like 2.5 to 1 underdog, you know. And Gustafsson just, you know, never really pulled the trigger. He he didn't look the same as he did in his other fights. He he struggled to find the range. He was getting kicked a lot by uh, Jones, getting teeped in the, in the gut and in the legs. Um, he defended some takedowns early in rounds uh, two of the fight, but eventually John John Jones just blasted a double leg in round three, and you know smashed uh, Gustafsson with ground and pound from his guard, passed them, you know mounted them, and then finished him with some more ground and pound. Um, you know Smith at least lasted to a decision with John Jones, but you know he still uh, he looked you know terrible in that fight as well. So Gustafsson, his last win was back in May of 2017 versus Glover Teixeira. So two years since Gustafsson has picked up a win in the octagon. You know he did look very good in that fight. His boxing looked great versus Teixeira. He was able to avoid any uh, you know takedown attempts of Teixeira, keep it on the feet, and just. Uh, completely outclassed to share on the feet, eventually getting that knockout in the third round or the fifth round, excuse me. Um, Smith also, you know, had a good run, you know, last year. You know, he knocked out uh, Rashad, he knocked out Shogun, and then he eventually tapped out Volkan Ozdemir in the third round of their fight. He actually, you know, showed you know the ability to to game plan well in that Vulcan fight. You know, he knew Vulcan was a fast starter. He knew Vulcan. Um, you know, big heavy hitter in round one, but he tends to gas out pretty quick. And he withstood the early storm in round one. He lost round one on the with in the striking. Volkan actually got a takedown in round two. And uh, you know, uh, Anthony Smith just stalled out on there. He you know held um, Volkan Ozdemir's hands and literally just waiting, waiting, waiting until the round was over. Survived round two and then round three he had his own takedown. Uh, Ozmir got right up to his back and gave up his back, and Anthony Smith took the back and got the rear naked choke. So, it was an impressive performance. Honestly, it wasn't pretty. You know, he didn't look, he didn't look, you know, like a world beater. He didn't dominate it by any means, but he, you know, he fought smart. He knew what was coming from Volkan. He, you know, he just took the passive least, least resistance, and that was to stay defensive, lose the fight early, and then right when Volkan gassed out, take advantage and get the choke. So. You know, who has looked better lately? It's been Smith, no doubt. Smith has been so, so much more active. And let, let me compare these two guys of, of how much they've fought lately. Because, I mean, Smith has been fighting, I think, three times a year or something like that. While, you know, Gustafsson, like I said, has, has won, has had, you know, one fight since uh, May of 2017. So, since uh, since that win versus Glover Teixeira, um, Anthony Smith has gone four and two, beating Hector Lombard, Rashad Evans, uh, 
Shogun and Ozdemir. So the only loss is coming to Tiago Santos at middleweight and to that decision to John Jones. So, you know, the guy with the more momentum, the guy who I think is the better athlete, who's going to be, you know, stronger, quicker, better cardio, that's going to be Anthony Smith, honestly. But, um, you know, I... I'm not. I can't go out there and confidently say that I think Anthony Smith's going to get his hand raised. I think that Smith's takedown defense is not very good. And you know, when I think about how this fight is going to go, I think of Alexander Gustafsson's fight against Jan Blahovich. And that fight, uh, Blahovich was actually landing some solid punches on the feet versus Gustafsson. It was a very competitive fight on the feet. And I was. I think Gustafsson was like, "Yeah, fuck this. I'm not gonna." you know, have a competitive fight on the feet, I'm gonna, you know, just take this guy down, so Gustafsson mixed up the level changes very well in that fight, he was able to keep top position, he was able to avoid any submission attempts from Blahovich, and he was able to win the fight uh, with his takedowns, you know, and that was a three-round fight, it was a few years ago, it was before Blahovich really developed, developed his ground game, and we haven't seen Gustafsson, you know, offensively wrestle well since. But, you know, it's definitely a path to victory for Gustafsson. You know, whenever Smith starts swinging big, big loopy punches, um, you, you know, uh, you just just level change and, you know, keep him on his back. And I think that that's a, that will be a good game plan for uh, Alexander Gustafsson. Uh, I honestly think that Gustafsson should be the better boxer at this point in his career still. You know, he should be, but, you know, he just hasn't shown it. He hasn't given me any evidence to, to lead to believe that his boxing is still crisp and that, that he will outstrike Anthony Smith in this matchup. So, you know, I got a weird feeling that, that Anthony Smith will win this one. Um, you know, I'm not going to I'm not gonna pick him. I'm going to pick Gustafsson to win a decision in this one. But, you know, it's where the odds are at now. It's definitely dog or pass. It, honestly, my, plus 275 actually might be worth a value bet. I know I did say a few minutes ago that I have not locked in a value bet uh, at that plus, one seven, or plus 275 odds for Smith. But I, I, I do think that the odds are, are uh, you know, wide in this one. Um, Anthony Smith being a 275 underdog, that's that's just a little too high for me. So, uh, I'm going to pick Gustafsson and get it done by decision, but I think it'll be a close competitive fight. Um, and uh, that's going to be all for the UFC uh, uh, on ESPN Plus 11 card going down this Saturday in Stockholm, Sweden, starting at 10 a.m. So with that being said, we're just going to quickly recap the UFC Rochester card that went down this past weekend. And so starting things off on the prelims, we had Julio Arce knock out Julian Arosa with a nice head kick in round three. Uh, Zach Cummings with a come behind, come from behind submission in round three as well. I, I believe he was losing that fight, um, yeah, maybe maybe two rounds to zero honestly, and he ended up dropping Trevin Giles and getting that submission. Uh, Ed Herman knocked out uh, Patrick Cummins with a knee in round one of their fight. Very uh, impressive performance from uh, Herman. Uh, Grant Dawson uh, got the choke uh, against Mike Trezano. You know, huge letdown from Mike Trezano in that in that fight. Um, you know, he was looking good. He started to stuff the takedowns. He was outstriking Dawson on the feet, but then he eventually let Dawson get that body lock, let him get the takedown. Was not nearly tenant or not nearly aggressive enough trying to get back to his feet. Was just kind of content to play defense and eventually paid the ultimate price, getting tapped out with a rear naked choke. Michelle Pereira knocking out Danny Roberts without flying knee, just like I said he would. Just like he was a crazy madman, Danny Roberts is the dumbest fighter on the roster, and he was, you know, striking with Pereira, and he got he paid the price again, knocked out. Uh, Desmond Green, you know, outclassed Charles Jordan to a decision. Aspen Ladd defeated Sajar Eubanks to a decision. Now, let me talk about this fight for a second. This is the only fight I really fucking care about on the card. And I was so pissed off when this decision came through. This fight was a draw. It was a 28-28 to 28 draw. Round one, close round. Last 15 seconds of the fight, Sajar lights up. Aspen Lad with a combination of punches drops Aspen Lad and then was following up with ground and pound on the ground. Okay, clear, clear 10 9 round for Sajar Eubanks. It was close, it wasn't dominant. You know, there was not a, a lot of sustained damage from Sajar throughout the round, but the flurry at the end, the dropping with the punches, the ground and pound, clearly, clearly enough to win the round 10 8 in my, in my mind. And according to the judging criteria, the official judging criteria. 
Round two, Aspen Lag gets the takedown. She keeps her down the whole round. She takes her back. She's hitting her with ground and pound. She almost gets the rear naked choke, but Sajara Eubanks survived. But it was, you know, four and a half minutes of top pressure, of ground and pound, of submission attempts. That is 10-8. That is a dominant, a sustained dominant round. It doesn't have to be close to finishing. It just has to be dominant. And if one per person is in mount or is in having, is in, you know, getting back takes or is in top position the entire round, that's a clearly dominant round. 10-8 round for Aspen Ladd. Now, round three, again, back and forth type of fight, back and forth type of round, just like round one was, but I gave the edge to Sajara Eubanks. I thought she was landing in the cleaner punches throughout the entire round. She was, you know, she still had defense, while Aspen Lau was just kind of coming forward and throwing. Sajara, I think, was landing the better shots, and she was deflecting better shots, too. So that was a 10-9 round for Sajara Eubanks for me. 10 plus 10 plus 8, 28. 9 plus 10 plus 9, 28, 28, 28 draw for this fight. And these fucking judges robbed Sajara Eubanks of her draw. She fought hard, man. She was in a bad position in that mount. She, you know, uh, fought out of the chokes, fought out of every every attack that Aspen Ladd uh, threw at her. She came back in round three. She won round three. And, you know, she deserved that draw. And the judges stole that from her. You know, some of these judges gave it 30-26. Some of them gave Aspen Ladd the round where she got dropped in. Some of them gave Aspen Ladd a 10-9 round two, even though it was clearly a dominant 10-8 round. You know, the judging, the, the, the judges who were at that, uh, scoring that fight did not know the scoring criteria. And it's worrisome because... One of those judges was Derek Clearly. Derek Clearly is a guy who refs fights all over the world. You know, all over the world. Brian Miner, he, he gave Aspen Ladd round one. The round where she was dropped in. She was dropped in and rocked with punches and she they gave her that round. Don't know how. He correctly scored the, the, the fight otherwise than that. He gave Eubanks round three. He gave Ladd 10-8 round two. Eric Collion, he gave all three rounds to Aspen Ladd, including the rounds one and three, which she lost. That guy she never judge again. So, you know, and even the media, you look at the media, you look at the fans who scored this fight. Barely any of them scored it correctly. Four of the 18 media members scored this fight correctly. 20, or excuse me, 18.9% of fans scored the fight correctly. So, it just goes to show how poorly judging is, the state of judging is in our sport. You know, no no particular one person's fault. It's the scoring criteria. But uh, moving on, Davi Hamos, uh, you know, defeated uh, Austin Hubbard, uh, dominant victory. Charles Oliveira knocked out Nick Lentz with, uh, you know, some punches and a very nice performance from him. Vicente Luque uh, knocked out Derek Krantz in round one. Felicia Spencer tapped out Megan Anderson in round one. Uh, you know, very terrible performance from Megan Anderson in that one. You know, Ian Heinish dug deep, dug deep. The motherfucking junkyard dog, Ian Heinish, got the decision and victory. You go back and listen last week. I said Antonio Carlos Jr. will win round one. He will take him down in round one. But in round two, Heinish will start defending the shots. Heinish's cardio is going to kick in. He's going to start outstriking Carlos Jr. He might even end up in top position. That's exactly what happened in round two. And in round three, it came down to who has the better cardio. And that was Ian Heinish. He won round three. He dug motherfucking deep after... After round, losing round one, and he won the decision against another black belt uh, high-level opponent like Antonio Carlos Jr. Ian Heinish is one of my favorite fighters on the roster right now. This dude just fights so hard every single fight. You know, just gotta love that guy. And in the main event, Rafael dos Anjos getting the submission via arm triangle choke. Uh, I believe it was arm triangle um, versus Kevin Lee in round four. You know, Dos Anjos, you know, just fought so well. He was defending Kevin Lee's takedowns. He was, you know, his takedown defense looked good. He was getting back to his feet. His striking looked on point. And eventually, uh, Rafael Dos Anjos took Kevin Lee down and got the submission in that one. You know, rough performance from Kevin Lee uh, at his welterweight debut. I honestly think that 155 is the, the place for Kevin Lee to fight. I uh, don't think he has much of a home at welterweight, but nevertheless, very great performance from Rafael Dos Anjos in that one. So, 
So that is going to do it for episode 62 of the Martian MMA podcast. We analyzed and predicted all 12 fights from the Stockholm card going down this weekend and recap the UFC Rochester card from last week. So with that being said, that's going to do it for the podcast this week. I will catch you all next week before UFC 238.